2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Today we're going to look at the first five verses. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, <laughs> that's preacher language, by the way. I was listening to a sermon the other day, and about 40 minutes into the sermon, the preacher said, I'm done, I'm done. Ten minutes later, he said to the musician, could you please come up and start playing? Because that'll help me realize I need to get done. And ten minutes later, he said, could the rest of the band come up? Because I'm having trouble finishing. And about ten minutes later, he said at 40 minutes, I'm done, and an hour and 20, he finally finished. So <laughs> we had an evangelist, I remember, you know, growing up, he kept saying, I must hasten, I must hasten. But, but as for other matters, in other words, it's like Paul saying, before I wrap this letter up, the Holy Spirit has some miscellaneous things that we need to deal with. And that's where we're headed, Lord willing, these next two weeks. So, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. As I was living in those verses over the last two or three weeks, uh, it, it, it kind of hit me that what Paul is giving us here is an insight into his heart. This is what was important to him. He asks them to pray for some things, then he talks about some things, and, and I think this gives us a, a really nice look into Paul's heart. Now, this kind of chapter, as for other matters, it is a hard one for my brain to outline. So basically what we're going to do these next couple of weeks is we're just going to walk through this chapter and I'm going to point out some things that the Lord brought to my attention. He starts with pray for us. And he says, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored like it was with you. That the message may spread rapidly. The King James translates this, that the message may have free course. And I kind of like that. It's the, the idea of having no opposition. Although, let's be honest, and Paul knew because he certainly lived it, there's always going to be opposition to the proclamation of the word. You know that as you try to share your faith. Missionaries know that. Pastors know that. Christian teachers know that. There's, there's always going to be opposition to the proclamation of the word. But as I studied the words that Paul used, I found that this translation of the NIV is of may spread rapidly is an accurate picture of the word. If you wanted to be literal, it would say that the message of the Lord may keep on running and being glorified. I thought, what? That the message of the Lord would keep on running? Well, Paul was a sports fan. 
you know, the, the Holy Spirit inspired the people who wrote the Bible. God got written what he wanted written. But it was not a mechanical dictation kind of a thing. The Holy Spirit used the interests and the personalities and the linguistic styles of the writers in their writing. And Paul, who was a fan of the, the, the Greek games of the first century, used a lot of the pictures of athletic competition to make his point. He talks about running the race, he talks about fighting the fight, you know, all these different things that come from the athletic arena. And so I use the Apostle Paul as my justification for watching football. Anyway, because you never know when a sermon illustration might pop out. But, but, but what he is doing, he's using a metaphor from a foot race. And what he's saying is, I want you to pray so that the presentation of the gospel will quickly do its work. That it would spread rapidly. I thought, well, that's a good prayer that the gospel would spread rapidly. And then I thought about my life. <laughs> did the gospel spread rapidly in your life? Or did it take a while? <laughs> you know? For me, it took a while. And for most people, it takes a while. Now, I, I've not asked this question of this particular group, but I have asked before, uh, through my ministry, how many of you accepted Christ the very first time you heard the gospel? I have only had one person say that they did. Most people are like, no, man, I had to hear it over and over and over and over. But, you know, so, so what I want to say is don't get discouraged when you're praying for the progress of the gospel in the lives of people you love when it seems like the gospel is crawling and not running, but at the same time, pray that it will spread rapidly. Say, God, do something to help them to open themselves up to receive what you have to say. And then he says that it would be honored or celebrated or respected or admired. In other words, that it would be received with the right response. That when people hear the gospel, they will respond to the gospel and it will change their lives and the message will be honored. Basically, when you put that phrase together, you could translate it, pray for the success of the message. When the gospel goes forth, may it keep on running and may it keep on being glorified. And as the gospel takes root in our lives, then we honor it and glorify it. As I was thinking about that, pray that the gospel will spread rapidly and be honored, my mind went back to Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void or empty, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. There is power in the word. And as you pray for pastors and others who teach the word, as you pray for yourself, as you share the word in your personal witness and in your relationships with people, pray, God, may the message be successful. May your word 
accomplish the purpose you intend. And then he says, pray that we would be delivered from wicked and evil people. Colorful words he uses. The word wicked or unreasonable, one translation puts it, means to be out of place. That they are harmful, that they're perverse, that they're wicked, out of place. And the word evil means to be aggressively wicked. This is not just somebody that, you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're kind of bad. No, these people are aggressively wicked. Paul ran into a bunch of those people in his life. You've probably run into a few in yours that cause pain and trouble, that harass. One of the meanings of this word is to be morally diseased. Kind of an interesting picture. Paul says, as you pray that the gospel goes forth, pray that we would be delivered, that we would be rescued from these evil people who are harmful, who are aggressively wicked, who are harassing us, that we would keep safe. And then he makes one of the greatest understatements of anybody's ever made. For not everyone has faith. <laughs> yeah, right. Not everyone has faith. So pray that God will deliver us from aggressively wicked people. The second thing that stood out as I was going through these verses Verse 3, God is faithful. And I try as, as you know, it gets closer and closer and closer to when I'm going to present the truth that, that you know, a, a, an emphasis would come out that I would know this is what God wants me to sit on for a little bit. And this is it for today. God is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is reliable. He is dependable. You can trust him. He is faithful. And he demonstrates that faithfulness in two ways. He will strengthen you and he will protect you. He will strengthen you. We noticed, I think it was last week, Paul used that same word and, and we said it means to hold fast to be immovable, that he will keep us strong. I think sometimes we are under the impression that it's up to us to keep us strong, that somehow we are to stand firm in the power of our might. No, we stand firm in the power of of his might. It is he who is strengthening us. It's his strength, not our strength. We're not held by our own strength. I'm so glad for that. That when, when my grip on him kind of weakens, his grip on me strengthens. He, he never lets go. It is his strength not ours. God is faithful and he will strengthen you for whatever you're going through, for whatever you're getting ready to go through. God will strengthen you and he will protect you. I know that I've used this illustration before. If you've heard it before, I'm aware that I have used it before. But here's a preacher rule. 
if it's your illustration because it happened to you, and if it's good, you can use it all your life. So this is, I mean, I did not understand this was a sermon illustration when I saw it happen because I was preteen, you know, at, at best. Uh, I had uh, an aunt and uncle who had a farm. They had some children that were a little bit older than me, and um, we all, I always enjoyed being able to go visit them because it's always nice when you're younger, you know, to play with older kids who have to play for you because you're family and, and all that. But they had a farm. And I remember we were out in the, in the yard playing, and all of a sudden a storm started to build. And you could tell it was starting to build. Uh, they were in a valley between the West Virginia mountains, and the, the wind was coming down, and the clouds were darkening, and you could hear rumbles of thunder in the distance. It was going to be a storm. And all of a sudden in that barnyard, a mother hen started calling her chicks to her. And from all over that barnyard, those little bitty chicks on those little tiny legs scampering to mama. She lifted up her wings. They ran under them. She closed her wings and got down as low as she could to the ground. She was protecting. Which is what Psalm 91.4 says. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you'll find refuge. Now I wasn't preaching then so I didn't realize until later man what a great illustration of that verse that he will guide us and guard us and cover us under his wings you may know that song under his wings I am safely abiding that's a beautiful picture of the protection of God but this one is different this word he will protect you from the evil one is a different word. It is not the word of a mother hen. It is a military word for the watchman. Now, in those days, you know, cities had walls and they had towers. And at the top of the tower, a watchman was posted. And he had lookout because he could see the enemy coming before the people on the ground could see. And he would sound the warning. And you read about this several times in the Old Testament. Where it let a, set a watchman. And they would have a horn or some system of alert that danger is coming. It was a military word. And that's the word that Paul uses here. It's the word for watchman. To guard, to protect, to watch over us. I need to tell you today that God is watching over you. He is protecting you. Isaiah 52, 12, the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. He is all around you. He is the watchman watching over us. I remember, and I don't remember who it was. It might have been my dad. I don't know. But in those circles that, that I grew up in in the church world, people would pray and thank God for his watch care over us. I actually used that with one of my kids a while back. Yeah, that's God's watch care over us. 
God is watching over us. He is protecting you. And, and in my mind, I said, well, I could start, you know, God was with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, you know, and yeah, he's with the three Hebrew children. They were still had to go through the fire. He was with Daniel. They still had to go through the lines then. And, you know, we still have struggles and challenges in life, but he is watching over us. Have you ever been given charge to watch over somebody? <laughs> Maybe the first time somebody left the grandbaby with you or something. And I said, you watch over them. And you did. While you had that baby, you were on high alert. I don't know, you went over every once in a while to make sure they're still breathing, you know, and, and you just all those things. I want to make sure they're okay because their protection was your mission. And I just want to say, your protection is part of God's mission. He will strengthen you, He will protect you. Psalm 4 was written when David was on the run from his enemies and he was living in caves. And he said, In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. He didn't write that from the palace with his guards all around him. He wrote, read, wrote that from a cave running for his life. But he knew that God was protecting him. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and he will protect you from the evil one. Most scholars think that he's talking about the devil himself. It's not just evil in a nebulous kind of way, but God is protecting you from Satan. Now the sermon's not over, but this is, I think, the main takeaway God has for us today. No matter what happens, no matter how tough the trials get, no matter how intense the persecution gets, God is faithful. He will strengthen you, that's on the inside, and he will build you up and protect you, that's the outside. And by the way, God has been faithful through all the generations. You know, I, I've told you before, I think it's, it's just, I appreciate about the Lord that frequently he leads me to something that I was unaware of that fits perfectly in, in a message. And last night, it was late last night, I, I was watching a church service and I heard a song that I had never heard before. And I thought it was an old one because when I looked it up, there were lots of different um, versions of it. But it's called Faithful God parentheses he won't and it's written by Cody Carnes and, and here's part of the song I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down he's faithful through generations so why would he fail me now he won't <laughs> and that's good news he won't he is faithful through all generations. And so therefore, Paul says, verse 4, we have confidence. We have confidence that you are doing and you will continue to do the things we command. Is basically he's saying, I know God is faithful and I know you all are being obedient. And so I have confidence that, that you're doing what you're supposed to do. And by the way, what a great reputation for somebody to have 
with, with a spiritual leader. I've got confidence in them. The person that led you to the Lord, that they can look at your life and say, man, I've got confidence in them that they're doing what God called them to do. And then he prays, verse 5, may God direct your hearts. You know Proverbs 3, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's a Hebrew word. This word, may God direct your hearts, is a Greek word, but they're basically synonyms. It's the same concept. It means to make straight, to guide, to lead, to remove hindrances. Again, that's God's job. We think our job is to be strong. No, he strengthens us. We think it's our job to remove hindrances. No, he removes the hindrances. He will direct our hearts. He will make our path straight into God's love. The verse from Blessed Assurance, you know, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. I feel inadequate, I am inadequate, to preach a lot of truths in the scripture. But the one I think I feel the most inadequate about is how do you preach about God's love to where we understand it? Paul felt that way too. Otherwise, why would he have written that I pray that you would understand the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of the love of God? Now, he never defines those because he couldn't do it either. But he said, I just want you to understand God's love. And I pray, as he did, that the Lord will direct your heart into God's love. And that when we are overwhelmed and bathed in his love, that love then will become the ruling, guiding principle in our hearts and lives. And then this one's got me stuck for a minute. May he direct your heart into Christ's perseverance. And I say, okay, perseverance, and I say, you know, that means endurance and patience and, and hanging tough and being safe. But he doesn't say, may the Lord direct your heart into you being perseverant. He said, into Christ's perseverance. How can God direct my heart into Christ's perseverance. And the passage that came is Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I think what Paul is, is trying to say there when he says, may God direct your hearts into Christ's perseverance, is he's saying, Christ is your example. Christ is your example of being steadfast. Christ is your example of persevering in the midst of opposition. And then the Hebrew writer just kind of throws in, oh, and by the way, in your struggle against sin, 
you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You know, Jesus shed his blood. Learn from his example. Keep your eyes on him. And as you do that, the Lord will direct your heart into Christ's perseverance. In other words, just as Christ held firm, just as Christ persevered in the midst of opposition, as you keep your eyes on God, he will direct your hearts into that same characteristic. And Christ's perseverance will begin to grow and develop in your life. Boy, if there's one characteristic we've needed these last two and a half years, that's been it, isn't it? Perseverance, persistence, one foot in front of the other. Nothing glamorous about it. Nothing exciting about it. You know, that's why they call it the grind, you know. But there's something about God's character when you're faithful in the grind. When you're faithful in the dailiness of life. So, keep your eyes on Christ so that he will be your example of hanging in there. As the word is shared, pray that as the word goes forth, and, and, and I know many of you have other pastors and, and church leaders and Christian leaders that you support and, and follow their ministries. I hope you're praying for them. I'm pretty sure you're praying for me. You know, I feel it, and I feel it when you don't. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel your prayers. But and pray for yourself, you know, as you try to share the word, as you try to live a Christian example, that, that it would go forth rapidly, that, that God would protect you, and that your witness would bear fruit because the word bears fruit. But I really think what God wants you to take from here today is remember the faithfulness of God. And he will strengthen you. And he will protect you. He's watching over you. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you do it. I know I do it. I pray for my kids every night, you know, that the Lord will protect them and keep them safe. And all those things you pray for the people you love. And I'm going to keep doing that. But I'm glad for the assurance that God is doing that. He's watching over you. That watchful care. He's the mother hen sheltering you under his wings. But he's also the watchman on the tower. And as I was thinking about that concept last night, I thought, you know, the people on the street doing their business and buying and selling and, you know, on the streets where the judges happened and the juries happened and all that stuff if they weren't paying attention they could miss the warning from the watchman that there's trouble coming and I wondered how many times in my life I was so busy that I missed the warning of the watchman saying be alert Ken trouble's coming and I pray that we'll be alert because God is faithful and he will strengthen you. I'm sure that there are people in this room and there are people watching who feel like you've gone about as far as you can go. But I, 
Didn't you think that two years ago? <laughs> I've gone as far as I could go. And didn't you think that last year? I've gone as far as I could. Guess what? You're still going. <laughs> Good for you. Congratulations. Thank you, Lord, right? God will strengthen you. And I, I pray that for you. That as you leave today, that you'll just feel that your batteries have been recharged. Your spiritual batteries have been recharged. He will strengthen you. And he will protect you. You're not in the battle by yourself. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We are more than conquerors through Christ. And if you'll listen, he'll warn you when the danger's coming. Let him protect you. Let him strengthen you. He is the faithful God. And why would he fail now? He won't. Thank you for that promise, Lord, that you are the faithful God. And I pray that as we live on alert in these days of such decay of the truth and decline away from the truth, and as we try to keep our spiritual senses sharp and try to keep our discernment sharp, may we also, Lord, realize that you are watching over us and you are protecting us and you will strengthen us. And that's my prayer, Lord, for everyone hearing this message, whenever it is, today, six months from now, if you tarry six years from now, that you would strengthen us, that you would protect us, and that we would keep looking to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and give you his peace now and evermore. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. You're dismissed.